Please stay tuned for the Mind Body Health Show. Good morning, everybody. Mind Body Health coming to you right now. My name is Cobb. I'm hosting for Marvin Trotter today. He is unable to be with us, uh, much to our own loss, but he'll be back. He's a great, fun doctor to have, and he is rocking it steady, but not today. So, having said that, thank you for tuning in to Mind Body Health. As I said, my name's Cobb. I'm hosting today. Sometimes I co-host with Marvin. Uh, I'm often here engineering the program. And today, we are going to be joined by Faith Dayton, the licensed clinical social worker, lead social worker for Compass Street Medicine based out of Adventist Health in Ukiah. And with that, we welcome you. Faith, are you there with us? Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, um, here we are, Mind, Body, Health. Faith Dayton, you are the lead <laughs> clinical social worker for Compass Street Medicine. And before we get into the details of what all that is, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what a licensed clinical social worker is and maybe a little history of where you came from and how you came to be um, in the position you're in today. Okay, thank you. And thank you for having me. Um, I do have a post-it in front of me that says, don't be funny, Faith. So I'm going to practice that. Um, so I, um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I lead the Compass Street Medicine, which is a project of Adventist Health here in Mendocino County. And uh, so I'm a social worker, and I have gone through the process. I have a master's in social work. And I'm also licensed as a psychotherapist. So that's one thing that people don't know about LCSWs, licensed clinical social workers. We're also psychotherapists. Um, I started, you asked me a lot of questions there, and I'm trying to remember which ones I should answer oh, first. Well, um, <laughs> so you're a licensed clinical social worker. What inspired you to become that and where where did you come from how did you get to be in ukiah doing this job well i'm actually from sacramento um i grew up in a very urban area and in a very uh low income neighborhood of sacramento um and with um a lot of experience with uh, underserved populations because of my upbringing and when I was in my 20s and coming out of high school, I took a, a more non-traditional route and um, dropped out and didn't go to college and really got into social justice, which was something that was really dear to my heart um, and into um, activism and women's rights um, and just the rights for all people actually in underserved populations. And so just with my, you know, early 20s in social justice work and um, rebellious attitude, I volunteered for lots of different organizations, including Food Not Bombs, which was an organization that 
served food and hot meals to the unhoused population in Sacramento um, without wanting to have all the red tape and regulations and just, you know, let's provide food to people that need it. And and did a lot of other volunteer work. I worked, I volunteered for WEAVE, which is women es- escaping abusive and violent environments, and also work um, with, you know, different organizations, um, a gardens project organization. And finally, I took a volunteer position working for uh, a clinic the birthing project in Sacramento, which specifically targeted um, the uh, population of um, the infant mortality rates, which were incredibly high for people of color. And so this clinic, which unfortunately doesn't exist anymore, really supported um, the pregnancy and choices of women who were pregnant and um, supported them through for those that kept their their pregnancies. And that's where I first met my first social worker. Um, And I talked, I was really mentored by this MSW at the birthing project who explained what an MSW, which is a master's in social work was. And Mm -hmm. it inspired me to take my interest in social justice and women's studies and go to get go back to school to get my bachelor's in social work. And from there, I ended up getting a master's because of the privileges I had. And then um, a few years later, I took a, a took my test to become a licensed clinical social worker. Wow, that's a super cool story. Um, Is it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's all sorts of uh, fun stuff I'd love to ask you questions about with that. But we're going to... Uh, Can I say one more thing? I'm sorry, I interrupted. I do want to say the reason I particularly was interested in social work, and this is something that a lot of people don't know, is social workers have a code of ethics through the National Association of Social Workers that specifically we swear to support social justice and to serve the underserved and vulnerable populations and to fight discrimination. And that's a career path that I don't know. I don't know of any other fields of study that take a like swear to a code of ethics to that. And that's something that's really important and dear to my heart. So thank you yeah. for letting me interrupt. No, that was great. That's uh, really amazing to hear. Um, so, what brought you to do your work in Ukiah? Um, you know, I just. I ended up coming to Ukiah because I, um, long story short, personal reasons, I ended up in Ukiah with um, a lovely person who is my ex-person, my ex-husband that I adore, um, brought me here um, after we became pregnant with our lovely child. So that's how I ended up in Ukiah, a very rural area that I had never been to before and was not familiar with rural areas prior to that. So, but I'm happy to be here now. Cool. And so as a licensed uh, clinical social worker, LCSW for short, Mm -hmm. you're the lead social worker for an organization called Compass Street Medicine? Yes. So Compass Street Medicine um, is a program that's been around actually for about five or six years. And um, I'm new to the team in the last year. 
I come from more recently a background of palliative care and doing um, home-based palliative care and outreach also on the streets, providing palliative care to unhoused individuals. And so when Compass Street Medicine had a position open for a, a lead, um, I was really interested. So Compass has been around five or six years. I was not part of the foundation for that, but there's a couple different components to it. We, my entire team actually right now is at our street medicine clinic, which mm-hmm. we have once a week. We actually have two clinics a week, which is essentially a walk-in free clinic that mm-hmm. um, on Wednesday nights is at the Building Bridges Shelter. And Today, this morning, is actually at the Center for Hope on Luce Avenue. And then every other Friday, we have a, a street medicine clinic at the Community Food Bank, which is on North State Street, 888 North State Street. And we choose community, we choose locations for this street medicine clinic because we're, we're trying to target um, specifically people that are unhoused and are mm-hmm. vulnerable and can't access healthcare in traditional ways. Um, with that said, it's actually open to anyone in the community that would like to be seen by a doctor. Um, we have a doctor and nurse. We have a health coach, substance use disorder counselor, and we have our, our community care coordinator and a social worker um, Oftentimes, we have a wonderful volunteer or multiple volunteers that are present at that clinic. Mm -hmm. And we primarily, um, we just, whoever walks in the door, we provide full medical services to. And we look, one thing that's very special to our street medicine clinic is we're taking a very person-centered approach. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, hype about person-centered care um, in the healthcare field. I think Marvin Trotter has talked about that a lot. Mm-hmm. And person-centered care, when it comes to healthcare, is really about meeting the person where they're at and what are your goals with your health, and actually sitting with somebody and having that conversation and giving them that space and what are what's important to you rather than sort of a paternalistic healthcare system where the doctor is telling you and giving you orders. So mm-hmm. very person-centered care, especially because we want to take healthcare to people and make it accessible. So that's the other huge part of our street medicine clinic is how do we make healthcare accessible to all members of the community, not just, you know, your average, I don't know, what's the average name, Joe Joe John Doe, <laughs> something <laughs> like that. Yeah, something like person. that. We need to update that for t- for today's generation. Certainly, but not just you know for every member because without housing, whether you don't have housing, whether you are dealing with a substance use disorder or a serious mental illness, you're a member of our community, and we care, and we want to make healthcare accessible and meet your needs. So that's that's my elevator speech on street medicine. Yeah. How about I stop talking for a second? <laughs> you're sounding great. I'm so glad that you're here on the show today. Uh, for anyone that just tuned in, this is Mind Body Health on KZYX Radio. My name's Cobb. Uh, we're speaking with Faith Dayton, uh, licensed clinical social worker for Compass Street Medicine, it, based out of Ukiah. And um, you just 
gave us a lot of information very quick, <laughs> which is super cool. Um, I'm nervous. Yeah, yeah. That's just fine. Our audience relates out there. And audience, we will uh, open up phone lines here for calling questions at some point today. Um, and I, I just want to give you a chance, Faith, uh, right now to put out the uh, contact information for Contact Street Medicine for anyone that's going to want to contact that agency directly. Um whether yeah. they want services or want to find out more or find out if they can help, how they can help, that kind of thing as they listen. Definitely. So our phone number, the best contact for our Street Medicine Compass team is 707-463-7519, 463-7519. I recently heard that we had a website, which I had, had no familiar familiarity with so i don't know what's on our website so um i shouldn't cool. have said that out loud because i but call us 467-7519 yeah. that's real you're you're out it sounds like you're out in the streets doing work and not on the internet doing work then in that yeah that's kind of comforting to me personally <laughs> um and well, so, I told Marvin that I've actually never listened to this show before because I'm working usually. That's so true of so many <laughs> folks. And and just so you know out there, audience, um, there are podcasts available of all the shows on KZYX, or at least most of them. There's the KZYX jukebox service, uh, and you can go to kzyx.org to follow up with any program, including this one later on. Um, so getting back into this, uh, what struck me is it sounds like Compass Street Medicine offers a whole bunch of, you know, a holistic variety of services to who they're serving. Uh, you mentioned, how big is the overall team? You said... We have a small team. I have yeah. an amazing nurse. Her name is Adrian um, Carpe Zavala. She's my RN and really leads the medical component. We have Ace Barish is our medical doctor. Mm -hmm. And then Marvin Trotter actually supports us also. Mm -hmm. um, we Ukiah is very privileged to have a residence program, and we do have rotations of residents as they're going through their first second or third year of residency um mm -hmm. and, and that's fantastic because then they're learning about street medicine and how to provide person-centered care as they go into their long-term career so we're really thrilled to have them a part of our street medicine clinic also um we are we have jimmy panetta who's our care coordinator um mm -hmm. and really supports adrian and a lot of our day-to-day -day logistics and then I have Michelle Flowers, who's actually been with the street medicine team since the beginning, and she is our health coach and our substance use disorder counselor. And she's also in, engaged to be to get her master's in social work. So, so that's our full team. Got and then it. we have an amazing volunteer named Dawn, who is fantastic, who um, has a lot of lived experience mm -hmm. and has a huge heart and supports the street medicine team hugely cool uh when you mention a volunteer is do you have just one volunteer or do you have many volunteers helping out or affiliated with other organizations what's that picture like so we so dawn is our primary we have 
multiple volunteers. Dawn um, comes every time. But we work, one part of our street medicine um, mm. philosophy is really engaging the entire community. This is a community effort. Rural health care, um, we can't work in silos. We have to work together with other agencies. And so we have... Um, wonderful people from the cabin that come and visit us at street medicine and provide support with, you know, if they have clients that come to street medicine or they can provide the cabin services, housing, navigation, um, you know, triage and referral to other resources. We have our inpatient substance use navigators from the hospital that join us also. Um, we have people from Redwood community services that join us. We have, um, uh, nurse Brandon that comes in as a part of our street medicine clinic. And we really, as rural healthcare, I think the strongest that we have is working together. So we have a lot of the agencies collaborating to make this happen for our wow. team. Um, and just one other uh, question about the structure there in the background. What's the general funding then look like for Compass Street Medicine? So Compass Street Medicine um, right at this moment is grant funded and um, it's through a federal RCOR grant. Um, and part of that is really targeting um, opiate use disorder because part of our street medicine clinic, we do mat initiation so we work closely with people who have substance use disorder and we can actually at our street medicine clinic um, initiate people onto medicate medication assisted treatment so we can start them on suboxone um, and help them on their journey to recovery and then we'll connect them to ongoing um, treatment through either mccavin's um, low barrier mat program or through new life clinic or through yeah. one of the other options. So we have a we have a grant that's funding our street medicine clinic right now, um, mm -hmm. and we're working on the renewal for that. Got it. And then, as far as uh, where you're working, is it all in Ukiah, or are you traveling elsewhere around the county right now? What's that like? Um, thank you. So, so street medicine, it's hard to encapsulate it so yeah. street, we do have these free clinics and also we do a lot of outreach mm -hmm. so we have these set clinics that are at locations in ukiah um, because we want to have a consistent schedule so people know where to show up because we actually have regulars that will come you know once a week or once right. a month and that's the only medical care they get but our our team also does outreach into different encampments mm -hmm. um we will go out to different campsites sometimes, mostly in Ukiah, but sometimes we do get phone calls um, from caseworkers actually who are working with unhoused members and get requests to go and see people in other locations. Yeah. So we, we try to be very flexible with how we do it. Um, and there is a street medicine clinic, a very um, small street medicine clinic in Fort Bragg that primarily is run by a fantastic woman named Kathy right now. And mm -hmm. so we're working to, we're still working on our plans to how we can support Kathy and her work in Fort Bragg. Um, so. Cool. Um, and then let's see, I, I want to get into the details of street medicine and what that is. And I have one last question. 
so you are you part of Adventist Health, the organization, or is it like a partnership where you work with the overall healthcare system? Our team, it, we're Adventist Health. So Got Adventist it. Health got behind this funding. And um, historically, Adventist Health has been very supportive of rural health. That's part of their mission statement mm-hmm. is to support rural areas. And so they're 100% behind this street medicine clinic. Got it. Um, thanks for all that. Uh, having said that, I'm really curious if you can expand on kind of go into a little more detail about what street medicine is and what that looks like, you know, uh, in a more detailed picture, like on the streets and, and, you know, maybe even what it might look like to the people being served by your organization. Yeah, I, you know, so each day is different. Our job is always exciting. Um, And another part of street medicine that we do is sort of short-term care management. So working with people that we get other referrals on. So we have walk-ins to our street medicine clinic, but we also get a lot of phone calls to our office from other social workers or doctors or caseworkers in the community that identify someone that needs support and needs medical care coordination um, or can't get into a doctor or they um, they have other barriers to health care. Um, so I, I'm just yeah. thinking of somebody where um, because of that, we get a lot of calls, unfortunately, of people that are struggling with a serious mental illness mm-hmm. and this serious mental illness they haven't had adequate treatment for and they're scared to go into the hospital they're scared to go to the emergency room they've gone before and they felt like they weren't treated well mm-hmm. um, or they're scared to just access any sort of primary care appointments so we work with that caseworker and our nurse will actually go and meet that person where they're at Mm -hmm. and we start building a relationship um street medicine and patient-centered care is all about relationship building and you know what we have to build trust and so our nurse will go and meet this person and you know what are your goals what is what are what's going on what's going on for you how can we help you And we've done a lot of wound care in the streets this way because wounds and um, sort of infections from wounds are very common when you Mm -hmm. don't have adequate housing and you don't have adequate plumbing and you can't keep yourself clean um, or you also are self-medicating with a substance use um, to deal with the trauma of living on the street. So our, our nurse will go out and provide wound care and dressing changes in the street. Um, and we help over time as we build these relationships with these individuals, we help engage them in other healthcare resources. So one thing that we do a lot of is connecting them to specialty care. Um, you know, going to doctor's appointments with these people and sitting with them while they Mm -hmm. sit in the scary doctor's office and while they sit in the, in the waiting room and helping them calm down their anxiety around that. 
Wow. You know, I that's just super thinking cool. for myself. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was just commenting. That's super cool. Well, it's it's super important. I think, you know, how how much anxiety does it cause you and I to go to a doctor's appointment and just sit there for 45 minutes and wait for them to call your name? And then to sit in the white room alone and wait for the doctor to finally come in. Mm-hmm. Now, now take that and put it for somebody that's been marginalized and traumatized living on the street and constantly vigilant. Mm-hmm. Like I have so many people that I work with that if we weren't sitting there with them, they wouldn't last in that waiting room. So, right. so we do a lot of connection to services and a lot of handholding. Um, I believe in handholding. I think it's really helpful. I think people that are unbefriended, um, which is a term we use in healthcare when somebody doesn't have traditional family or friend supports, um, mm-hmm. we all have friends that hold our hands through hard times. And when, when you don't have friends or family, it helps to have caseworkers or other people support us. That's how we're successful. Yeah, wow. Um, so what I'm wondering... I kind of want to just highlight a few things, which, um, you know, you said that your street medicine program, you meet people where they're at, and it sounded very literal and metaphorical at the same time. Is it, That's <laughs> correct, yeah? Absolutely, 100%. We, um, yes, absolutely. So we are harm reduction. Um, we will literally go and meet people where they're at. Yes. And we will figuratively, like you said, you know, if somebody is struggling with a substance use disorder and they don't, which unfortunately around here is oftentimes methamphetamine yeah. and more recently fentanyl, you know, that's not a requirement for us to provide health care or any type of services to you. We're going to work with you uh, and on, on your goals with your health care, like whether that's keeping your wound clean. We're not going to bring your substance use disorder up every single time we talk with you if if it's going to cause shame and if it's going to make you not want to work with us and to access care because we want to meet you where you're at. Right. Like these, we're, you're a human, we're a human, and, um, and we just we see so much more value in that. Yeah, that's super cool. We spend quite a bit of time, Marva and I, uh, interviewing various healthcare professionals and talking a lot about the need to destigmatize, uh, especially shame around all manner of different illness experiences and the language around that and so forth. Um, so. Yeah, I think shame and stigma is what keeps a lot of people from accessing medical care traditionally. Um, going into the, you know, going in to see a doctor or an emergency room where the first question can be, you know, are you high or did you use drugs? That doesn't make someone feel human or feel heard or feel um, valued. And I'm not saying that that's what happens, but I think, but that sometimes people feel that way. And so we're really trying to meet them where they're at. Um, yeah. And so we touched on that and your services you set up clinics, and those are walk-in clinics where uh, people are understanding, and with your regular schedule, they know, like, okay, on this day, I can go and find the street medicine program. Is that correct? 
Yes, that is correct. We're trying to, we've had a lot of changes in the last six months. So we're trying to get more formal of a schedule so that we can, you know, put that on our website so that other people can refer people. Uh, their clients to us but yes we do we have the same schedule every other tuesday at um center for hope every other friday at the food bank and then every wednesday at building bridges which is the shelter okay um and then i wonder if you can give out your contact information one more time absolutely so our phone number is 707-463- seven five one nine four six three seven five one nine jimmy will often answer the phone and you can reach me on that number too okay and if people are listening today um that's a number where if they are interested in receiving your services they could call you is that also a number if anyone's listening and they want to know more or they're feeling inspired like they want to find out maybe how they could help or volunteer is that something you're open to a hundred percent absolutely anyone anyone can call anytime and we'll see what we can do yes got it so i wonder if you could expand then for you know a lot of the listeners that might not be aware uh, what is the situation? What's the overall picture of your clientele base right now? You mentioned mm-hmm. mental health, drug addiction, and so forth. Um, yeah. Well, so um, so we primarily work with with the unhoused population. That's um, who are who we're targeting because they are the most marginalized. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not necessarily everyone that we work with. Um, but primarily people that are at risk for becoming unhoused or unhoused or very low income. Sometimes we do get somebody that has such a high copay for their health care mm-hmm. that they'll actually come to our free medical clinic. And so we're a community service in that way. Um, I do want to talk about just... Um, that unhoused population in Mendocino. Um, I think it's a big conversation. I'm not an expert on the unhoused population in Mendocino, but we, the County did just do a point in time survey, which is, I think it's biannual where they interview and sort of get sort of the statistics and how many people in our community are unhoused and sort of their age groups and so forth. And I haven't seen that. I don't know if that data has been released yet, Mm -hmm. but it's important to note a few, not that long ago, I think four or five years ago, Mendocino County had one of the highest unhoused populations per capita out of all the counties in California. Um, and that a significant amount of people who are unhoused also are suffering from a, a mental health condition. And that can either happen before they become unhoused and can create some barriers that leads to them being unhoused or that can happen after they're unhoused. Um, because of the amount of trauma and that someone can be exposed to when they're camping on the streets. Um, mm-hmm. I do, I'm sure Marvin in the past has said this, but I think it's striking to know that the average age of death for somebody who's unhoused is about 51. So mm-hmm. nationally, it's about, you know, 20, 25 years old in that. But when you're unhoused, you're, the average age of death is 51 for men. It's a little bit 
more. It's age, it's somewhere between, you know, 50 to 56, but for women, it's significantly less. It's age 43 to 52. Also with people who are unhoused, the, the illnesses and the chronic disease that we see with somebody who's 50 is sort of the disease that that somebody their counterpart at 70 would have wow. because of yeah so we're about a 20-year difference so that the when somebody walks into our clinic the type of um heart disease which is very common or um you know lung disease that they have is very oftentimes what somebody 20 years older than them would be dealing with and so there's a lot of psychosocial factors that contribute to this and it's you know the social determinants of health which i'm sure you've heard before it's mm -hmm. what parts of you know how our psychosocial factors influence our health and so people that are unhoused are very vulnerable to that and so that that's why we're incredibly passionate about you know getting rid of these barriers to healthcare. right um and you know just a broad concept that i believe we were discussing too was and maybe you could expand on it more is that connection between mental health and physical health uh and that overlap yeah absolutely so you know what i mean our yeah okay so i'm a behavioral yeah. health provider and this is something that's very passionate to me is historically we've always separated the medical and the mental and the thing is that we're whole people and we're starting to understand this in our medical field is that we cannot separate people's mental health from their physical health um the symptom like when somebody has a serious mental health condition or even a mild mental health condition and um, that can impact their ability to take medications that can take impact their ability and their drive to take their insulin on time. Like when you're depressed, how do you, how do you have the energy to get up out of bed, let alone take your insulin? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then how, and then the reverse of that are certain medical conditions can give you symptoms of depression and can make you very lethargic and, and just being exhausted all the time. How does that affect your mental health? So it's just, you can't remove those two things and separate it. So there's a lot of movement towards in integrating behavioral health into medical care. I think MCHC has been doing this for at least 10 years and that's a really fantastic. And I think Adventist is recently has some grant funding to incorporate behavioral health into all their primary care clinics, which I'm very excited about. Um, so when we're looking at the population that we serve, we have people that have depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, and they can't manage their medication, you know, they, because they still have bodies and they still, you know, managing a healthy diet and eating, you know, 20 servings of vegetables a day when you're schizophrenic, when you have a schizophrenic disorder, like that's very challenging to do. And mm -hmm. that can lead to other conditions. So then you have somebody with a serious mental health condition who also has heart disease, and now they need to take cardiovascular medications, or you have somebody that it has a, a serious mental health condition that 
smoke cigarettes because that calms them down and they've never gotten the education about how that can harm their lungs and now they have COPD and they need oxygen. And so how do you carry an oxygen tank around when you have a serious mental illness? So it's just, it's a very complicated web. Um, Right. And so we come in and we wrap around this person and we don't just look at their, that's why we have an interdisciplinary team. We have a doctor, we have social work, we, we address the psychosocial and the medical right. because we right. want to say what's important to you and how can we help you with all of these factors. It's, um, there's this thing called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. And until you address the most basic of human concerns, food, shelter, like how, like until you do that, it doesn't like who cares about your long-term health. Like if you're right. starving and you're cold. So we wrap around these people. And sometimes the first thing that we do with people is mm-hmm. help them, you know, get a source of income or get a food box or, you know, can we find out if there's a bed open at the shelter? Um, and then we'll wrap around, you know, like a diagnosis of cardiovascular disease. So, it just depends. Right. I just went off on a tangent. Sorry. That no, that was not going <laughs> off on a tangent. That's the, that's the subject of today's episode of Mind Body Health. Uh, if you just tuned in, that's the name of the show, Mind Body Health. My name's Cobb. I'm hosting today in place for Dr. Marvin Trotter, the regular host of this show spot. We are interviewing our guest, Faith Dayton, licensed clinical social worker and lead social worker for Compass Street Medicine, uh, part of the Adventist Health System in Ukiah Valley. Um, Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, there's some exciting stuff I want to talk about in in regards to street medicine, but I didn't know if you were done with your statement. (laughs) I, I am, but before you go there, are you open to taking listener calls? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, we have one coming in, but before I take that, I just want to put it out there. If you're listening and you have a question for our guest about street medicine, about Compass Street Medicine, call in. The number to call is 707-895-2448. We have a lot of material to cover, and we will try to get you in as we can. Uh, somebody's potentially on the line right now. Are you there, caller? You're live on Mind Body Health. Yeah, thanks for calling in. Good morning. Great show. I'm glad I hung in there. Um, I, I, well, anyways, I just didn't think that I could relate, but suddenly I did. I, I think that there are a lot of traumatized people, and traumatized people need to talk. And I think that there's been a huge change or shift in medicine, uh, I think it's having lots of traumatized people. And then for the doctors, I think it's uh, in a capitalist society, uh, time is money or money is time, and they have little time. And so you want to go in there and you want to explain how you think you got this, or or you want to know, did I get this by doing this? And they, it's like, you're speaking two different languages. They just want to say, you have this. This is how you get rid of it. And so 
suddenly you're you're with someone who doesn't understand what you're saying and you don't understand what they're saying or you can't relate you cannot relate so having this person who can advocate for you uh the other day i was listening to um uh, well anyways in humboldt county there are uh patient advocates or so call her may interrupt you for just a moment yeah do you have a a, well i know Again, it's the reality you're bringing up, caller, which is, you know, the limits of time. I'm just wondering if you have a question that our guest can respond to directly. And then we're going to keep moving because they have a lot to cover that's very much in support of the concerns you just raised with your comment. Thank you. Sorry sorry to just kind of stumble into here, but I'm, I just think that what she's doing is just hugely important, and especially what I've noticed today is that there is a huge disconnect between the person coming into the doctor's office, uh, and uh, because it's like you don't speak the same language, you don't have the same objective in a way, uh, you want to talk, you want to talk, you want explanations, and there's just no time, and so you walk away feeling really defeated. And thank you so much to her for for what she does. Okay, thanks for the call. Can I can I respond to that? Yeah, I, please. I love caller. Thank you for stating what a lot of people feel, and I think it's true. I think you know, patient centered care is really once again taking away the paternal side of medicine, where we have somebody giving us orders about what to do with our health. Because who knows? You know, the, we have to be engaged in our healthcare to care and to and to to communicate with the doctor. And I think um, the thing about this is, doctors when they have time and they can listen to someone and build that relationship, they're happier. That's what research is showing too. Mm-hmm. So patient-centered care helps the patients. It helps the clinicians. It helps them with job satisfaction. And it's better for like financially for the healthcare system for resource allocation. So how we're using our resources, mm-hmm. um, which are very limited. So there is a lot of movement. Um, I am very inspired by the new generation of medical providers. I'm inspired by the old generation too. I want to be very clear. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot more emphasis around relationship building with patients. So thank you, caller. Yeah, and I. You know, something to me that's highlighted by that caller and, uh, you know, our consistent moving the program along. I mean, we've got maybe 15 minutes left to go um, where you have a a platform to bring up what you care about. (laughs) And just all that time pressure that we're always under, um, whether being a healthcare provider, especially somebody that needs care, it takes a lot of time and patience and so forth and that's a challenge at every level of the spectrum of what we're discussing it seems uh what's your opinion on that oh i'm just time sorry yeah yeah as your team and what you find when you're (laughs) experiencing the needs of your patients yeah um and i mean i mean the the patients you know as in the noun the people you know, it's empathy and boundaries, which is a huge, whole nother part of this. Um, and that's a topic for another show. But, you know, we, we're all, we're each a resource 
to, and we have limits on our resources. And so working, doing this type of work, which is human work and relationship, you know, emotionally charged work, um, having good boundaries with our self and our team members and what we can and cannot do for patients um, and being respectful about those boundaries too. Mm-hmm. Um, but that helps with time management for sure. Wow. Um, but I was going to talk. So one thing that I'm really excited about with our yeah. um is we're incorporating, this is sort of a new thing and is incorporating elements of palliative care into our street mm-hmm. medicine clinic and palliative care is also a new medical specialty for people with chronic and serious illness to really focus on quality of life and once again person-centered care Mm -hmm. Um, what's important to you in your health care and incorporating your friends and family and your culture and to looking at you as a whole person um and so, for our street medicine clinic, may may I just interrupt yeah. for a for people that don't know what palliative care is, will you spell that out briefly? Yeah, definitely. So, palliative care is a large umbrella, and um, it it's oftentimes associated with end of life diagnoses. So, hospice. Um, so, palliative care and hospice. Um, mm-hmm. Hospice is under the umbrella of palliative care because palliative care, people could be on palliative care and recover and survive from their illness um, because they might have a chronic disease um, Mm -hmm. or actually have a stage, like a a very end-stage cancer, but then recover from it. So anybody with a serious or chronic medical condition um, ideally would have access to palliative care. Palliative care is very dear to my heart because while well, I'm certified in palliative care, I've been doing palliative care for the last 10 years. And I, prior to this, I worked with Madrone Care Network and also with Resolution Care. And a lot of times I would provide palliative care to people who are on the streets and unhoused and dealing with, you know, a stage four lung cancer and needing radiation and, and chemotherapy but not having a place to live while they're getting that done. So, so palliative care, we're trying to, there needs to be more access to it. So we're incorporating elements of that into our street medicine team. Um, our nurse is getting more and more training in palliative care. And we've started working with people on just healthcare directives and having discussions with our patients who come in and are unbefriended about, you know, you know, what would you want to happen if there was a serious, you know, if you had a serious accident and who Mm -hmm. could speak for you or talking about, you know, like mechanical ventilation and things like that and helping them do advanced directives. Um, They're so critical. So like everyone should have access to having their rights respected when Mm -hmm. it comes to their own healthcare decision-making. And I don't want to create barriers just because somebody's unhoused or has a serious mental health condition. Like they still have rights to their voice in their healthcare decision-making. So I'm just really enthusiastic about that. So I just wanted to go yeah. off on it. <laughs> no, that's super cool to hear about. And, and Well, 
We're working, we're really stoked because we are mentoring with San Francisco Public Health as one of the only street medicine teams that's doing palliative care. Oh, and wow. that's funded by public health in San Francisco. So mm-hmm. every few months we meet with Tanya Magruder. And she's a doctor and Melanie Bien. She's the LCSW. And mm-hmm. they're reaching out into the streets of San Francisco and providing palliative care. So wow. they're mentoring us. So we're very enthusiastic about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a tall order also. That's just my own comment on the, the task that your team is a part of engaging in um, and meeting such a huge need for the community. Um, so we have less than 10 minutes left. If there's anything else you want to bring up in particular, um, and what I would see within that is if you could maybe paint a, a, a bit of a picture of the street medicine and the unhoused needs within Ukiah in particular for anybody who maybe doesn't know about it, like what you would like them to go away with a sense of what's going on that maybe isn't in their radar or their attention often. Well, I think one thing that's probably in most people's radars is the fact that we don't have housing. Mm-hmm. Um, we need more housing for um, people in general and um, more of housing first models, which our county, first of all, there's amazing people that work in our county um, in all aspects of it that are fighting hard for the unhoused population. McCavin, um Redwood Community Services, just the county in general, and try and providing housing supports. Um, but we always need more housing. Yeah. And I think one thing that's unique to the Compass Street Medicine is we have a medical lens to the social services that we're providing. So we get a lot of phone calls from our friends and colleagues in these other social service agencies, and we're, we're stoked that they call us and we help provide them some kind of instruction and education around the, how to navigate the medical system. Um, because I think navigating the medical system is really hard for anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get a lot of weird letters in the mail saying, you you know, bills and everything else, and you can't get a specialist, and there's no oncologist and all this stuff. It's hard enough for everyone, but when you have anything else going on in your life, um, it's impossible. So... So medical care coordination is what we do, um, mm-hmm. and we do it with a kind heart, and we do it with strong listening and empathy skills. Um, and we do a lot of transitions of care work, too. So when we have people who are in the hospital who have you know, substance use disorder, serious mental illness, unhoused, we try to wrap around them while they're in the hospital and mm-hmm. help them as they transition out, whether they are going to a home or if they're going to sort of a structure that they live, you know, how can we help them with their medical care and understanding what needs to happen now after this critical hospitalization? Um, so, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question, but really we need housing. <laughs> yeah, well, no, um, just as an aside, and and I can't cite anything specific, but as I recall, a Housing First initiative 
was shown in a in a fairly you know science-based way to be fairly successful in particular in salt lake city utah oh absolutely seattle housing first which is essentially you know you don't need to get sober clean and sober before we put you into housing like that's the thing is so many housing programs used to require you know you need to do this and this and this and this and then we'll put you into low income or free housing the thing is it's it's hard to get clean and sober when you're on the streets right so many people have talked to me like about coping like how do you think i cope with this trauma Hmm. um so yes housing first is getting people into housing and then walking alongside them and supporting them with their recovery and other and getting support right it's very successful and it's coming into our county yeah Cool. I'm going to do a shout out for Heather, Chris, and Megan Van Sant at the county. Amazing women. Mm-hmm. Need behind the scenes. Housing first. Amazing women. Thank you both. I love you dearly. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, so, yeah, we do just have a few minutes left, Faith. I wonder if you could put out the contact information for Compass Street Medicine for anyone who's interested in your services or in interested in helping out volunteering you know finding out more yes i'll give i actually want to give out my email too for people that want to email me on different things so my email is dayton fl which is d-a-y-t-o-n-f-l for faith lucille at ah.org if anyone has questions or thoughts or collaboration efforts you can email me or call me at 707-463-7519 and um, there's so much more that we're working on with this program Um, i'm trying to collaborate with the criminal justice system and the jails and helping support them as people transition out of that system too Um, so i love to talk with people too and then when we have our last few minutes, I do want to yeah. um, just share one of our leads and our such an important person for our Compass Street Medicine team. Um, we lost this week Suzanne Stark, an amazing woman who has been managing Compass Street Medicine and really inspiring our team and keeping us together. Um, she was non-clinical, um, but. But she was so valuable because I think so many of these clinical programs have people that are doing the non-clinical work hiding in the background that we couldn't do what we did without without Suzanne. We couldn't. Mm-hmm. And we lost her this week and we loved her so dearly. And I just wanted to say um, just to bring up her her memory right now. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, we're coming up with less than two minutes to go. Um, thank you so much for being here today, Faith, and for your team being there. I'm guessing the even with all the work you're doing, the need for the kind of services you're providing probably far outweighs the capabilities of what the community's actually able to provide. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so we'd love to have you back on anytime your organization, you know, other members from your organization. Uh, It it seems like something where it's very important to keep getting the word out consistently, updating the community on what's going on, that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. 
So having said that, uh, we have less than a minute to go. Let's get your phone number out one more time, just in case. Definitely. So 707-463-7519. And my email is DaytonFL at AH.org. And my name is Faith Dayton. So okay. DaytonFL.org. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for being on the air. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.